He was a king, an emperor, a husband and father, and family man. Uh, and he died 100 years ago this year. We're going to be talking about Blessed Karl of Austria up next. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are your co-hosts, Sam Guzman and John Heinen. We are blessed that you are here. Today, we are joined by a wonderful man, a man that I have met a couple months ago here in Dallas, Texas. His name is David Ross. He has been married for 22 years, and he has six homeschooled children ages 7 to 19. He's also a real estate agent in a family-run real estate business, I guess, uh, generationally speaking. And uh, he has 30 years experience in that. He's also a parish councilman at Modern Day uh, Fraternity Parish in Dallas. And then most importantly that we are excited about is that he is an expert on Blessed Carl of Austria and is running a, um, a centennial symposium in Dallas in October, which we'll talk about at the end of this episode. We really want you to listen to that. We'll put a link in the show notes as well. So David, welcome. How are you feeling today? Good morning to you, gentlemen. Feeling very well. Thank you for having me on your show. Happy to now be here. Excited that you are here. So, David, why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about uh, yourself, um, your life as a real estate agent, and then honestly, what got you interested in Blessed Carl uh, to the degree and extent uh, that you currently have? All right. Well, uh, in that order, um, uh, before I was born, my father, um, my parents are from Pennsylvania. They moved to Texas. Um, and by the grace of God, I was born in Texas, but he started real estate business in the early 60s in Dallas. And then um, after graduating from the university, I uh, joined him in business full time. And uh, that was, in fact, uh, 30 years ago. And, uh, and so it's, a, it's an old long time uh, real estate uh, business. So I'm a realtor, agent, real estate broker, investor. And uh, it's just a great business. It gives me a lot of freedom, something I know very well. And uh, I represent sellers and buyers all over the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, metroplex, north and south of it, and some even some other uh, Texas states. So I've been in it a long time, and it's um, it's in my blood, you know, it's in my bones. So yeah. uh, it's a great business. Wonderful. Uh, and so that's about my business and a little bit more about myself is, um, well, I was um, a little late to marry, but uh, I was thinking about thinking about the priesthood, you might say, uh, in 1999. And I was invited by the Bishop of Dallas to accompany him to the country of Lebanon. Lebanon is an interesting country in the Middle East. It is... Um, has an unusually high density of Catholics. It is worldwide, Lebanese are 60% Catholic, 40% Muslim. Those ratios are reversed in Lebanon proper. Wow. They had a, uh, they had a civil war from 1975 to 1990, and there was a, uh, just a lot of destruction. And uh, the Bishop of Dallas paid for the 
rebuilding of a Catholic church there, which had been destroyed by the Muslim armies. And uh, it was time for the rededication and reconsecration of it. And that was in 1999. And that Bishop of Dallas was Bishop Groman. And he invited me to travel with him. And I thought, this is great for my vocation, to travel with a bishop. Yeah. Well, I met a young lady there at that Catholic church, St. Nicholas Catholic Church in the south of Lebanon. And we married uh, uh, 53 weeks later as virtual strangers. And um, we have seven children. The first one miscarried. So we have mm -hmm. Thank you. born mm -hmm. children between the ages of uh, seven and 19. And um, we live in the Dallas area. And as I said, my business is all over Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, we homeschool our children. We go to modern-day Latin Mass Catholic Parish, which is run by the Fraternity of St. Peter. I'm on the parish council. Our parish is just uh, growing wildly busting at the seams. Sure is. And just recently we hosted uh, the Bishop of Dallas who conducted a sort of town hall at our parish and uh, just learned of his support for our parish, which we, you know, appreciate very much. So yeah. in a nutshell, that's, that's me. Wonderful. And so then uh, Blessed Carl somehow entered into your life and into your fascination. And now you're, um, I mean, I would say an expert on it. So we're, we're excited to talk about that. Yes, you, you asked, um, how did I learn about him? And how did I get turned on uh, with his story? You know, I was thinking about that. And I believe it started with this custom that my wife and I like to do, and that is to host a dinner party in October, uh, sort of an Oktoberfest, if you will. But, and, you know, Oktoberfest historically was to celebrate the, uh, well, the harvesting at this time the, uh, in the fall. And to give it a little more meaning, especially Catholic meaning, we would have a sort of October Saints Fest, okay, where we would come together, eat lots of homemade German and Austrian uh, food, uh, wine, beer, and what have you, but talk about the saints who are of Germanic extraction, whose feasts are in the month of October, and invoke them, and, you know, just give it more meaning. Usually Oktoberfest or just celebration of life, which is fine, but we gave it a little more depth to it. Well, that's when I learned about Blessed Carl, because his feast day is October 21st, hmm. and he is uh, Austrian, so he's German, and I learned a little bit about him that way, an emperor. I thought, wow, and in relatively recent times, you know, he died, he, he reigned in the uh, in 1916, 17, 18, died in 1922. This is the centennial of his death, so I learned a bit about him that way, but I didn't really get turned on to him until I was invited to go in the year of 2017 to a symposium similar to what I'm doing in Dallas in uh, the Kansas City, Missouri area, um, where there were speakers talking about Blessed Carl. Bishop Athanasius Schneider was there, mm. and it was really uh, rather amazing. And then after that, the, um, the people who conducted that little conference on Blessed Carl, um, uh, well, he was dying from cancer. And I've known them for many years. 
and they asked us to pray the Blessed Carl Novena for nine days, mm. which I did. And then, frankly, something miraculous happened, which sometimes happens with prayer. And it just changed everything for me about this man. And here is his portrait here. This is the official symposium uh, image on the website. And I got a hold of every book and biography, and there's many on Blessed Carl that I could read. They kept coming. My, my children, when another package arrived, oh no, dad's got another biography on Blessed Carl. So I gobbled them up and I read them all. And there's many of them. And of course, there's many in other languages I can't read. And so the more I learned, the more I realized the life of Carl looks really much like the life of Jesus. And a man in our relatively recent time frame, 100 years ago in the life of the church is not really that long ago. And his story is, is very relevant today, to today, especially for men. So that's the brief version of how I got interested in him and, and why that just pulled me in and why his story is relevant for today. I can get into detail yeah. later about why. Great. Yeah, so um, just to get us started, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about his his reign and, and how he became uh, a king, but a lot of that uh, it just seems kind of shrouded in the midst of time, even though it wasn't that long ago. Uh, what what does it mean to be an emperor? You know, at the beginning of the twentieth century, uh, what was he emperor of, and uh, how did he how did he kind of uh, inherit that that uh, leadership role? Yes, let me uh, if I can lay a little. Let me set the stage if I can lay some background work here. We are talking about. Um, in the year 800 on Christmas day at old St. Peter's, mm. Pope Leo III, the last one was Pope Leo XIII, so this is some time ago. Yeah. Pope Leo III crowned Carl the Great, commonly known as Charlemagne, yeah. from Carolus Magnus, Carl the Great. He was the King of France, crowned him emperor, Christmas day, the year 800. This was the Holy Roman Empire. He unified much of Europe, different uh, kingdoms and principalities and duchies and what have you. That was Charlemagne or Carl the Great, the first king of the Holy Roman Empire. Holy Roman in that the original uh, sense of holy is that it's set aside, set apart. Well, this is the Roman Empire that is set aside from the original Roman Empire. So that is the Holy Roman Empire. Well, about now, 750 years ago, the Habsburg family was the ruling family of the Holy Roman Empire. The Habsburg family originated in today what is Switzerland, Germanic people, and they ruled the Holy Roman Empire until the 19th century when it was uh, mostly as a result of the uh, Napoleonic Wars, it was uh, broken up and essentially the uh, rump state of it is the Austrian Empire and the capital was Vienna. 
in the, uh, and it comprised Austria, Hungary, Slovenia, Croatia, Macedonia, um, parts of Romania, Ukraine, Poland, Czechia, Slovakia, and this area, which today is a lot of uh, Eastern Europe. In the 1867, it unified itself or it came together with the Kingdom of Hungary. You've heard of St. Stephen of Hungary who founded that. And so it, that's why it is called the dual monarchy. So technically it isn't the Austro-Hungarian empire but that's usually what it's referred to. It's really the dual monarchy of the empire of Austria merging with or connected with the Kingdom of Hungary. And this is what is commonly referred to as the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So it, it uh, comprised all of those states that I just mentioned, okay? And um, before Karl became emperor in 1916, there was the long reigning emperor Franz Josef, okay? And he reigned for almost 70 years in 1914, he was the reigning emperor. His successor was his nephew, his brother's son, Franz Ferdinand. He was the successor. In 1914, he was about 51 years old, I believe. He was visiting Sarajevo and Bosnia, which was incorporated into the empire in the early 1900s, and that's a fascinating tale on its own, when he uh, was assassinated. He and his wife were shot at point-blank range by a Serbian terrorist in 1914 on June 28th, or July 28th. And that brought Carl to the throne, which is interesting because blessed Carl, when he was a boy, had almost no chance at all ever becoming emperor. He was not exactly groomed to be emperor. There was at least five other men and their male offsprings who would be next in line for the throne. But which made a Hungarian nun's prediction when Karl was five that he was gonna be emperor one day so fantastical, so far-fetched because there were so many other men in line before him. Um, this is the old Kaiser's uh, uh, son, Rudolf, who was found mysteriously uh, shot in a hunting lodge. Um, Karl's, uh, or Franz Josef's uh, brother, Maximilian, who um, actually took over the empire of Mexico in the 1800s, but that lasted for three years and he was uh, dispatched in a firing squad, that's Maximilian. Then there is uh, Franz Josef's brother, Karl Ludwig, who was a devout Catholic and drank the water of the River Jordan and got a disease from it and died. <laughs> but he had a son. The others didn't wow. have a son. Yes, he died. He had a, a couple of sons, Otto and uh, Franz Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand was older. That was the successor who was assassinated in 1914. 
um, his and, brother. And Artis, as a reminder to our listeners, that assassination is what really sparked World War One, right? The war to end all wars and stuff. So yeah. continue. But I, I think that's that's just such an important connection there. Yes, no, you're right. That's a very important connection because that's where the story really begins. And I'm going to get into that. <laughs> but uh, uh, Franz Ferdinand's brother, Otto, was next in line, except he was already died. He died from natural causes in the early 1900s. And that left Blessed Carl to come to the throne. <laughs> so you see, it was just laughable that uh, people yeah. thought that he would be emperor when this Hungarian nun uh, prophesied that he would be emperor. When he was five, she said, this boy is going to be emperor and he's going to be persecuted and you must pray for him. So she started what was called in German, the Gebetsliga, the prayer league. So they started a prayer league for little Carl and it continues today to today. And, uh, and in the North America, the website for that is emperorcharles.org. And, and the delegate of that uh, North American operation is actually one of our speakers, Suzanne Pearson. We'll talk about that uh, uh, later. Let me pause there and, and let you interject some some more questions and tell me which direction to go on this because I have a four hour talk I'm going to give you in <laughs> you know, 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. And we haven't even talked about um, his role as a husband and father, and, and we will do that. But let's carry on in this path, actually, with um, this idea, because I know that um, there's a lot of scandal and a lot of lies and everything, and that the beatification process uh, really um, exposed a bunch of those uh, falsehoods that were told about Blessed Carl. Uh, but I think it's important to talk about kind of his role as balancing the altar and the throne, right? This idea that he um, was an emperor, that he came as an emperor in the midst of World War One, a war that uh, was assumed to only last a couple weeks and had now lasted uh, longer than anybody expected it to last. And so, um, but he was a peacemaker when he when he entered in. So if you could uh, carry on and, and talk about um, you know his uh, his early uh, life as as an emperor, and um, I, I just loved I'd love to hear about that. And and again, his devotions um, to the Eucharist, Our Lady, this altar and throne idea, because today as men we experience it very much where we look to our leaders, both here in North America, that are um, stated Catholics, but living a very contrary life to to the church's teachings and authentic uh, Catholicism. And, um, and it can be a scandal for us, but then we've got this man who's now a blessed who just really was able to do both. So I know that doesn't really, <laughs> hopefully we can stay on this direction as his role as, as emperor and peacemaker, you know, uh, on the throne. Yes. Well, you know, he's there. I mentioned before that I find him very relevant for today because he is marked by bravery, fortitude, courage. And he easily could have avoided a lot of suffering and hardships, but he embraced it. It would have been mm. easier to run out, but he didn't. He brought this pain and suffering on his own because that was his job to do that. And I'm, and I'm going to talk about that. Um, when um, his uh, uncle, Franz Ferdinand, was assassinated in 1914 by a Serbian terrorist 
but in Bosnia, which is not Serbia, um, uh, the advisors to the Kaiser, Kaiser's German for emperor, the advisors to the Kaiser said, you know, you need to invade Serbia, Serbia proper, because that's where the assassin came from. So they presented Serbia with uh, a list of about a dozen, you know, stipulations that they had to uh, agree to, or they're going to be uh, invaded. And they agreed to 11 of the 12, but not the 12th. And the emperor was very old and feeble. And so he reluctantly agreed to invade Serbia. Serbia was a uh, principality, okay? It was not belonging to any country, though it was uh, aligned with Russia because they're Slavic and they're Orthodox. That's a religion, mm -hmm. Orthodoxy. So Austria invaded Serbia. And Blessed Karl was against this. He had always been a very uh, mild-mannered man, very much a gentleman, very heroic in his faith and morals. I mean, really, it's fascinating to read about him. And, uh, but he was against the war. So the war raged for two years. And in 1916, the Kaiser died, the emperor died. So now our man Karl ascends to the throne at the age of 29. Mm. I mean, inheriting this war that he was opposed to, it was atrocious. Yes, it was supposed to have been just a couple of weeks, a few weeks, a couple of months. Now it's raging for two years. And the bloodshed was awful. It was huge. He never supported it. So what he did is, instead of spending his time on the throne, you know, prosecuting the war, as the expression goes, he made all these offers for peace. In fact, Pope Benedict at the time devised a plan for peace, and it was a very fair peace, but, and he promoted this to the people he was fighting against. And who was he fighting against? Mm. He was fighting against, this is Catholic, and the Catholic Empire fighting against Catholic France, Catholic Italy, which actually was an ally to Austria, mm. but England and France approached Italy and said, if you'll switch sides and fight with us against Austria, we'll make sure you get some of their territory. Um, and uh, see, what happened is when Austria made excursions into Serbia, Russia attacked Austria because they are allied with Serbia. So Germany, which was allied with Russia, there's the empire of Germany, a separate empire, a separate emperor, Wilhelm II, he attacked Russia. And then always wanting to expand uh, Germany, made incursions into uh, Belgium and France. And then England attacked Germany and by extension, Austria-Hungary. Then Italy switched allegiance and attacked Austria. This is World War I. Yeah. And it was really awful. And everybody in Europe loved Blessed Karl. They knew of him. Whenever there was a, 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 an imperial wedding in some empire in Europe, you know, the Kaiser always sent Karl because he was so lovable, so highly respectable, such a man of great virtue. <clears throat> 
Well, they viewed that as a weakness in him. They considered him a timid soul. And he probably wasn't a great, you know, war monger. Okay. He was a man of peace. So they viewed his offer of peace as a weakness. And they thought we could profit more if we crush this man and his empire, because it looks like we probably could do it. So they refused his offer of peace, adding a death toll of another million. Another million men left, uh, died that could have lived because he was making offers of peace. Well, you know, his, his uh, um, Wilhelm II, the uh, Kaiser of Germany, was very much against that. So it was hard to make a peace without Germany agreeing to it too, because they were uh, allies. Hmm. So his virtue, his heroic virtue really shined in the war because he was under all this stress. His enemies would make up stories about him. Knowing that he was a man of great goodness, they really couldn't um, find anything on him to degrade him. So they calumniated him. So if any man has ever suffered calumny, you can identify with Blasted Carl because they made up lies about him. Um, and this is at the time in 1917, for instance, when Our Lady of Fatima appeared to the children in Portugal and the prophecy there. And he had a great devotion to Our Lady. He had a great devotion to all things holy and pure. Oh, but they made up lies about him, infidelity with his wife, that he was uh, a drunkard, which is ironic because what little wine he drank, he mixed it with equal portions of water. And as an Italian, you know, it's great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, he ate one meal a day. A uh, very trim man, a man of great discipline and self-sacrifice, always doing the right thing during hardship, but he kept his joy. And there seems to be a crisis today, even among Catholic brothers, a crisis in joy today. You know, our political and financial and, you know, material fortunes, they come, they go, they come back, they go away. And the devil wants to take our joy away from us. Mm -hmm. And joy seems to be that, you know, that, that choice for an inner happiness that's not based on the material. It's uh, uh, indestructible in the face of persecution or, or should be. That's joy. Yeah. And Blessed Carl maintained that during all of this uh, when he offered peace and they wouldn't take it. He offered peace uh, of, of his lands, you know, to give back the Alsace-Lorraine to France and, and a little bit to Italy that they wanted and, and what have you. The irony is, is that it started when Russia invaded Austria in 1914. And after a couple of years of the war, Russia got out of it because they were fighting the Bolsheviks who took over Russia, they assassinated, and that's a horrible and separate story, but they yeah. assassinated the Romanov family and um, the uh, Lenin and his communists took over uh, Russia. Um, Blessed Karl would not allow Lenin, who was uh, hiding out in Switzerland, 
to use his uh, railway to go into a direct shot into Russia, but the Kaiser Wilhelm did. He allowed him to use a railway to go into Russia. And so Russia got out of the war, because remember, Austria went into Serbia, yeah. and Austria, Serbia was allied with Russia. The irony is Russia got out of the war, stopped fighting with Austria, Hungary, and Germany. <clears throat> so that's kind of the, the backdrop of, as we get deeper into uh, Blessed Carl and, and World War I. Yeah, that's all fascinating. It's so much history that, you know, even though it was a century ago, so many of us are unfamiliar with these days. Um, but I've, I've heard, I've heard uh, people speculate, theorize that all these dynamics that you're talking about, all this, all these um, political movements and, and um, kind of uh, nations attacking one another during World War One was kind of the, the final death rows of Catholic Europe. Um, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and um, uh, how perhaps if that is true, Blessed Carl kind of responded to that as a man of faith and how he maybe led his people um, it, as Catholics it, it, through this very difficult time for Europe. Yes. Well, as I mentioned, there's uh, many books uh, about Blessed Carl. He's mentioned in books that date to the 20s and 30s. Full-size biographies didn't really start into, uh, until the 60s. And I've, I've read all of them in, 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 uh, in English. And so this is, you know, this is what I've learned uh, about him and from other speakers on the subject matter. Um, First, there were many, <clears throat> many empires in Europe at this time, and uh, most of them collapsed as a result of war, World War I. The Russian Romanov uh, Empire collapsed. The, um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire collapsed. The German Empire came to an end. The uh, Ottoman Empire came to an end, and that kind of cuts both ways. But Ironically, the Ottoman Empire, so this is the Turkish Empire, was actually a military ally of Austria, Hungary, and Germany in World War I. Um, but their, their power and influence was severely receding. But Blessed Karl's Empire, the Habsburg Empire, um, a lot of historians believe that the demise of that empire is what unleashed the moral horrors that we have been enjoying these last hundred years. Hmm. So, you know, someone may say, you know, why do you even care about all this talk and study about a man who's been dead a hundred years? And, and of course, Catholic brothers will, will certainly understand that. But it's good to understand that, you know, if you ever asked yourself, how did we get this pot of filth? I mean, really, if you think about the moral evil and, and, and trash, for the last hundred years, the last five months, five years, 50 years, a lot of historians believe that it started with World War I. I mean, you can even see some things. Women's dresses became lower here, higher there, hair was bopped, and all of this, um, you know, architecture, what have you. But because what happened is, what took the place of this Catholic monarchy 
was civil war, was uh, communism, fascism, communism again. You know, it's ironic that um, the many loud voices that were opposed to the Habsburg family continuing the monarchy back then, what they got instead was, well, it became uh, the Iron Curtain. It was, it was uh, satellite states of the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union took over all, except Austria, though they almost took Austria, the Soviet Union took over all of what was his empire. You know, uh, Czechoslovakia, Ukraine, Romania, Hungary, Croatia, you know, all of Yugoslavia, which is Croatia, Slovenia, and Serbia, and Macedonia, and Montenegro, you know, Albania, and any uh, other states, Bosnia, you know, all of this became Soviet territory. And the errors of communism and socialism, which replaced his empire, has spread its evils throughout the war, throughout the world. Blessed Carl talked about this because we have the testimony of his wife, servant of God, Empress Sita, who died not so long ago. She died in her upper 90s, at the age of 96 or 7, something like that, wow. in the year 1989. And she was interviewed many times. And so we have her testimony because she was with her husband frequently during his governance of the empire to the many meetings of different heads of state that he conducted. Um, and so we have her uh, testimony about him, about the threats against him. It would have been easy for him to walk away from threats. You know, um, one guy came in, uh, his prime minister, and said, you need to abdicate. I will not abdicate. God put me on this throne and I will not abandon my vocation. If you don't abdicate, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to take this gun and shoot myself. And the, the, the Kaiser of Germany will do the same. And you and your wife would need to do the same. Imagine hearing that. Uh. She was in the room when this happened. We have her testimony of this. I will not abdicate. Uh, his enemies made up lies about him, printed it in the newspaper that um, uh, all he could do was just deny it. Okay, um, he had the equivalent of 650,000, 100,000 miles of real estate taken away from him. Talk about the deal of the millennia. Hmm. Bill, what today would be billions of dollars of wealth taken away from him. He would not abdicate. Um, uh, they said, we'll agree to your offer of peace if you give us more territory. I will give you more territory. He agreed to allow um, civil entities to run the empire. He would still stay the emperor, but they could run their own affairs. So the more he offered, the more that they demanded. And as you guys know, the appetite of evil cannot be satisfied. Yeah. The more you give in, the more you feed it, the more its hunger grows. This is why there comes a time when evil has to be combated. It can't be negotiated with. Um, in the end, at the end of the uh, war, 
which was 1918, November of 1918. He had to be arrested because he would not abdicate. There are some stories out there in some um, uh, books that touch on World War I and certainly on the internet that Blessed Carl abdicated. They want to keep, though it's a hundred years later, they want to keep trying to spread this lie that he abdicated because they want to hurt the church today. But mm -hmm. he didn't abdicate. All he did was, in fact, he said, I am not abdicating. All he did was let other secular uh, members uh, run the governance of the empire. Well, he was arrested. Can, can I just interrupt real quick and, yeah. and just ask, what would what was the significance of, of abdication? Why was everyone pressuring him to do that? And what uh, what would his enemies have, have gained from that? Well, not only would there be a symbolic gain to get a man to say, I surrender, I surrender my vocation, I lose, you win, but it would have um, made it easier for governments to take over his lands. You see, you know, it is a long story, but this is a man who was crowned with the crown of St. Stephen, which made him the king of Hungary. He made a pledge to God in front of bishops and cardinals in sacred space, a Catholic church. He made a vow to God. And with this vow, he cannot abdicate because that is breaking a vow to God. That was the kind of man he was in spite of the pressure. You know, for instance, in my business, I'm known as the guy that won't work on Sundays. I'm not trying to be canonized from it. I'm just giving you an example. There are some jobs you can work on Sundays that provide for basic needs, but there's a lot of us men who will not work on Sunday because you're not supposed to work on Sunday. I mean, it made the top 10 of, you know, the basic commandments. Well, I have had uh, missed opportunities in business because I will not work on Sunday. And it just isn't worth, you know, selling myself out to work on Sunday. Well, that's just a small example of something like Blessed Carl would have done. You know, and if he would abdicate that he was going to get things for it, but he couldn't do it because it means I would break my vow. For instance, uh, the Kaiser of Germany abdicated. Um, and he took his wealth and went to Belgium. Blessed Carl spent no time gathering up wealth would not abdicate because a father does not abandon his children. And how many times in these biographies of Blessed Carl, he talked about, I am the father and these are my children, these people, all these different uh, provinces I mentioned to you that are, that are now countries, Poland, Czechia, and Slovakia, and what have you. A father does not abandon his children. This is why his story is so relevant for men today because we are challenged like no other time in American history, and perhaps even in Catholic history, except for perhaps the first 300 years, men are challenged in a way unlike ever before in recent memory. How does a man man up who controlled everything, 
who had the control of 650,000 million uh, square miles of, uh, of land, billions of dollars in wealth, and all of these lands being persecuted, calumniated, uh, uh, made offers that were rejected, threatened. He was even threatened with assassination. He would not leave. He stayed on mission. He Was he afraid? He was afraid. Was he nervous? He was nervous. But I find more heroic virtue in men who are suffering that, but they stay on mission. They stay with their family, and he is this symbolic um, father of his children, these other countries. I will not leave. A father does not abandon his children. Abdicating, you ask, means I'm doing that, and I will not do that. So he was arrested. He was taken with his wife away from his children physically. He was shipped literally to Turkey. Then he was shipped literally through the Mediterranean. They're trying to find out what do we do with this man and his wife. His children are somewhere else. Um, a British general by the name of Strutz was very kind to him and helped him out and decided that the country of Portugal was going to take him. And this is a man who just, you know, had learned the year before that the reigning imperial family then, the Romano family, they were all assassinated. He knew that could happen to him, but he still would not, you know, back down or renounce his vow to God. Well, he was shipped to the island. Well, first he was sent to uh, Switzerland. He lived there for about a year and a half, excuse me. Then he was shipped to Turkey. Then he was shipped to the Portuguese island of Madeira, which if you look down the map is more off the coast of uh, West Africa in the mm -hmm. Atlantic uh, in a December of uh, 21, he lived there for a couple of months and then died on April 1st, 2022, at the age of 34, leaving a pregnant wife and seven born children. He died, many say, of a broken heart, but he also um, got some respiratory uh, disease. And he died on April 1st, 1922, 100 years ago, which is not his, eventually his children were given back to him. Imagine that, your seven children are taken away from you. They were delivered to Madeira. Um, he died in penury, okay? That means severe poverty. Um, sick, not enough food, not enough money. There was a Catholic patron there on the island, very Catholic island, who lent his um, summer house to him, but it was very cold in the mountains of uh, Madeira. And his feast day is not April 1st. It is, that's usually, you know, the like, saint's feast day yeah. is the day they die. He died April 1st. His feast day is October 21st, the day he and his blessed wife entered into the sacrament of matrimony, holy mm -hmm. matrimony, otherwise known as his wedding day. Yeah. And he was uh, beatified by Pope John Paul II. And when he died, as I said, he, he left a pregnant wife, and so he has uh, eight children. He was beatified in uh, 2004 
by Pope St. John Paul II, who he himself was named after Carl. Yeah. An interesting little side fact, not a lot of people know, you know, the Pope was named uh, Carol, which is Polish, or Karoli, which is Polish for Charles. The Pope's father worked for the Austro-Hungarian Empire being Polish. It belonged to the Habsburg Empire. He named his son Carl when he was born in 22. I believe the Pope was born in 1922. And um, so that's uh, an interesting fact that he's named after Blessed Carl. So it's interesting that the first emperor, Charles the Great, Carl de Grossa, Charlemagne, is the first emperor of the empire. And the last is also Carl. And he was beatified by a Carl, by a Charles. Yeah. And yes, the book that you invoke about Blessed Carl written by Charles Cologne, his, his name is Charles. So That's as you right. can see, I've got four hours to <laughs> now this is gonna give us all four hours. And now this is wonderful. And I wanna do I wanna shift and take a little bit of time to talk about his role as a father because you kind of touched on a few things in and I'd like to start um, kind of at the end where, um, you know, because I've read a biography and I know that at the end of his life, the translation I have said the last, his last words to his wife were, I will love you endlessly, or I love you endlessly. Um, and I mean, so just uh, if that didn't pull on the heartstrings of any uh, husband and uh, and father, and I know you, David, mentioned that uh, the your joy in life and the thing that you love doing the most um, is spending time with your family. And so this this young man, right, he died at, at the age of 34, almost 35. He um, had seven kids and one on the way at eight kids um, when he passed away living in poverty. I mean, just the stress that that he was enduring. If you could talk a little bit more about his life as a father um, to his uh, biological children and um, and his love of Zita, his his wife, I, I'd love to hear more about that. Well, I'll be happy to. Um, uh, I could invoke a little booklet that uh, your uh, viewers can get on the Emperor Charles Prayer League website, emperorcharles.com. That's not my website but uh, that is the uh, Gebetsliga website, a little booklet called Death of an Emperor. It's mm. a little yellow booklet, and it speaks about the very last days of his life there on Madeira in penury with his uh, pregnant wife and, and seven children. Um, I, I invoke that because you just invent, uh, invoked one of the last words he said. The very last mm. word he said was Jesus. And one of the last words was to his wife, I will love you always. When the, uh, the first words he said to his wife upon entering the sacrament of holy matrimony was, now we must both get, our, get each other into heaven. So he very much, you know, echoes this this doctrine of Bishop Sheen, if you will, about um, three to get married, yeah. the husband, wife, and God, this holy triangle, if you will. So very much God and prayer was a part of his life. And especially when he joined in uh, marriage with his wife, Zita, who was a very devout uh, young lady herself. 
She was a duchess herself of the house of uh, Bourbon Parma, it was called then. She was born in uh, today what is the city of Lucca, Italy, and she is a mix of many different ethnicities, uh, Portuguese, Italian, mostly French, etc. Blessed Carl was very well known for being a very tender father, a father that spent time with his children, even with the heavy duties of his empire. He always made time to be with his children. They loved him. He played with his children. He instructed his children. He was very gentle with his children and gave them the very best uh, upbringing, especially in the Catholic faith. They went to mass every day. Um, of course, they had a, a chapel, a beautiful private chapel in their castles, but he went to mass every day. They prayed together all the time. Um, he loved his children very much. Now they were very young to be sure. So there is not, you know, much history of interacting with his children when they were older because they were so young when he died. Yeah. Um, but there's many pictures of him, you know, unusual for an emperor, such a vast empire. So many of the pictures are him with his children. Mm -hmm. This is one of the many ways that his story is so relevant for men to today that is going to be illuminated at the symposium that we're going to talk about this coming in October. Now, he was also known for being a very loving uh, husband. He was gentle with his wife. They worked in unison together. They liked the same things. They had similar thoughts, but they didn't always agree. You know, I don't know anybody that is perfect except for Jesus, you know, the Blessed Mother. But they were, they got along well, they worked things out, she helped him in his governance of the empire. There's no documentation that the children were involved in the empire because again, they were, they were so young. It broke his heart dreadfully when he was separated from them for a weeks when he was taken away. Um, you know, I said that he first went to Switzerland and then was taken away you know, why was he taken away first to uh, uh, Constantinople or today now Istanbul and then to Madeira? Um, when he went to Switzerland first, he and his uh, family, he made an attempt to remember he was the emperor of the Austrian Empire and he was the king of the kingdom of Hungary. Yeah. He thought he could at least make a claim back to the uh, kingdom of Hungary. So he made an incursion just personally into Hungary to reclaim the throne. But the man that he put on the throne in Hungary, not on the throne, a regent to hold his place, wouldn't give it up. Mm -hmm. One of his best friends, uh, or at least a, a very close friend in the governance of the Austro-Hungarian empire that betrayed him. Um, a few months later, he made a second attempt into Hungary, this time with his wife. You asked about his family life. She joined him literally, physically, side by side with a train coming into Hungary to claim back the kingdom of Hungary. Because while he did not make a vow, a vow to God to be the emperor of Austria, that wasn't involved, it never was, 
but he did as the king of Hungary. That's why he was arrested and sent to Madeira because they thought he's so popular here, we're gonna lose our, our lands and the kingdom is gonna come back and maybe by extension, the Austrian empire. So they had to send him away, which you know is better than being uh, assassinated. But um, this little booklet that I invoked, okay, uh, deals with his time on Madeira, the last couple of months, the last couple of weeks, the last couple of hours, the days, and then even the last couple of hours. While he was expiring, he called in his son, his oldest son, Otto, the crown prince, the successor to the empire, and said, stand next to me because you must watch how an emperor and a Catholic dies. <laughs> Talk about an example for Catholic men today. We men are challenged in a way like ever before. I have men who contact me, they need to sell their house because they're being forced by the government to do things that they don't wanna do. Either it deals with vaccinations or marriage or what have you, you know? They, I, I, they, they want me to violate my conscience or I'll lose my job. I lost my job, I need to sell my house now. You know, things like that. We men are challenged in the way exactly like this man was. Yes. And he had all these children to support and he didn't have all this money to take care of him, himself and his family. That booklet and some of these answers I just gave Sam um, and John addresses a little bit. I'm going to stop for now about that, but so relevant. And that's what pulls me in. That's why the movement about Blessed Carl is growing so much. Why, you know, hundreds of people will come to a symposium. I have people coming from all over the countries, even from uh, uh, other countries and uh, other states in our country coming to it because in this one man's story, he addresses so much that what families, especially men, are going through. Yeah, I agree. That's beautiful. Yeah, and there's so many lessons there about uh, courage and fortitude and resisting uh, compromise when everything seems to be falling apart. Um, but 100 years later, uh, still very relevant lessons. And I know there's there's so much more that could be said. Like you said, you got hours of talks you could give on this. And I know you've uh, studied so much about Carl's Blessed Carl's life. And um, the symposium, though, tell us about it. Um, you know, people can who are fascinated by this story can learn so much more, I'm sure. But tell us tell us about a little bit about the symposium that you have coming up. Certainly. Well, the uh, official uh, symposium event website is blessedcarl.org not .com but .org and carl spelled with a k so spelled all out blessedcarl.org well i got the idea when i attended something similar in as i said in october of uh, 2017 in kansas city missouri and i thought uh, and bishop schneider was there and suzanne pearson from the uh, blessed emperor charles uh, prayer league was there as a speaker Blessed Carl's granddaughter was there. I thought, wow, this is really cool. His granddaughter, uh, 
you know, it's interesting after that event in 17. Um, so, you know, I know so much about him. I know they, they died in penury. He died in penury. You know, he was, he was starving. They didn't have enough food. And after the event in 2017 in uh, Kansas City, um, one of the organizers asked me the most interesting question I've ever heard in my life. Would you take Princess Maria Anna, Blessed Carl's granddaughter, out to dinner tonight? We were going to, and we can't. I thought, this is my way to feed the Habsburg family now <laughs> uh, when they were so hungry in you know, 1922. So that symposium really got me interested. And I thought, you know, I need to do this in Dallas. Mm. So I did it at my parish church, uh, Mater Day in Irving, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. It's in the Dallas Diocese. We did it at church. Um, and I had... Uh, his granddaughter, Princess Mariana uh, von Habsburg Galatzin, as a speaker. Actually, she didn't want to give speeches, but she, she was willing to be interviewed. I had uh, Suzanne Pearson, I just invoked as a speaker. I had a, a, another speaker as well, a, uh, a priest, and it was very popular. You know, the, the, it was a, just our little parish hall. It could only seat 195, we had 270, and I barely got out of trouble for that. Then the next year in October of 18, I held it at another parish auditorium, much bigger. We had 650 people, that sort of thing. And I had uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Um, Her Highness Princess Maria Anna um, was instrumental in making that happen, as she was instrumental in making our parish our first class relic shrine to Blessed Carl. And again, that is. Uh, modern day Catholic Church in the Diocese of Dallas. Um, so, you know, it was so popular that I thought, well, I'll do it yet again. And so we are doing it uh, this October 15th in the Diocese of Dallas. It's a suburb of Dallas called Plano. It is in the north part. It's easy to get to. We have very nice uh, facilities. And these are the speakers and you know at the end of and if you go to the website uh, of my event blessacarl.org you'll see a link there you can click some testimonials from the last symposium which was october 19. as you know then 2020 hit and 21 by extension so we didn't have it those two years so we've all gone through a lot and this symposium and this man's story is even all the more relevant to today than back in the old days, like 2018, 2019. <laughs> um, so our speakers are Bishop Athanasius Schneider. That's a mouthful. Let's try that again. Bishop Athanasius Schneider. And all that he represents. And, you know, he has a special, uh, you know, shepherding for all who will, who have ears to listen to him. And he is a very special, he is very close to the house of Habsburg. And in fact, just today, he emailed me, if I can read this to you, a message for you all. Oh, wonderful. I have some email communication with him just because we're working on his schedule here when he comes to the symposium. And he says, I encourage you in your faith. He's talking about, um, the viewers who are listening to your program 
And later on, I'm going to be on the Catholic radio station. So for all who are listening, he says, I encourage you in your faith. Be not shaken by societal disappointments. And I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible in Dallas. So just a brief Amen. message from him. He is intimately close with the House of Habsburg. Okay. He's going to talk about some global issues. He's going to talk about the family. He's going to tie it in with our friend, Blessed Carl. I have also um, the Archduke Edward von Habsburg. He's a guy about my age. He is uh, married, has uh, six children like me. In fact, I just learned recently that he and his wife entered into the sacred matrimony on the same date that my beloved wife and I entered in, which is July 1st. Um, he is the great, great, great grandson of the old Kaiser Franz Josef that I spoke about. He is today's hung Hungary's ambassador to the Holy See. He's the ambassador to the Knights of Malta. And he is going to have a talk about Blessed Carl. He is a husband. He is a family man. He has many children. They live in Rome. They're very traditional. And Europe is ironically not very traditional. How does he run his family? And he's a diplomat, so he is exposed to the world. He engages the world. He's got a family. How do you do that in 2022 and connect it with Blessed Carl? He's going to have a fascinating story to share. Mm. Another speaker I have is Mr. Charles Cologne. Charles Cologne is an American. He is currently living in Vienna, Austria, because he is uh, authored many books on many different subjects especially um, uh, historical figures, uh, monarch, monarchs, uh, monarchism, that cause, that subject matter. He is working on a biography of Servant of God, Empress Sita, Blessed mm. Carl's wife, who died in 1989. He's working on a book, a biography of Otto, their son, the crown prince. He is just one of those kinds of speakers that you just you just clutch and grab on to every word he says. His, his, his intellect is so accessible. He uncovers all kinds of, of factoids and stories that you just don't really find in, in, in regular books. Uh, he is the author of the famous American history books, which are not given into public schools, called um, Puritan's uh, uh, Pride progress um and uh excuse me puritan's empire and uh he is in flying him from uh, uh vienna uh, the bishop is coming from kazakhstan uh the archduke is coming from rome as i mentioned suzanne pearson the head of the uh emperor charles uh, prayer league and uh blessed carl's granddaughter now here's something interesting Blessed Carl's granddaughter, her name is Princess Maria Anna uh, from Habsburg Galatine. She married a Russian prince in 19, um, uh, well, she, I forget exactly what year, it doesn't matter. But her father was uh, Rudolf, one of Blessed Carl's sons. And oftentimes, when you see this picture of their children being restored to them at the harbor in Madeira. 
he is walking down this sort of plank, if you will, back on land, and he's holding a little boy. This is his son, Rudolph, who is our speaker's father. When Rudolf grew up, he met a Russian countess, Xenia. Because she was not Catholic, she was Orthodox, they had some extra special work to get married. And it was Bishop Sheen who married them in Tuxedo Park in 1954 in New York. Wow. So that's an interesting uh, connection. That really is. Wow. So that if uh, whoever goes to the symposium, they're going to learn about why the story of Blessed Carl is relevant for today, what I can get out of it, how is it applicable to us today, and it is very, that's why there's this big movement all over the world about him. Um, and we have uh, other speakers coming as well. We have... Um, I've got uh, a, a composer who is composing an opera on Blessed Carl. Oh, Never wow. heard of such a thing, but he's yeah. composing an opera on Blessed Carl. He is currently in Europe. He's an American, lives, uh, he's a Texan, lives in Texas, but he's going to be there talking about that. I have guys who are making a real feature film, a real film movie about Blessed Carl. They're going to come and talk about that. I have... Uh, uh, I've got a guy that makes Blessed Carl beer. Who ever heard of Blessed Carl beer? This is Tridentine um, Brewery. Isn't mm -hmm. that a beautiful? This is a metal sort of aluminum medallion. He called it Hopsburg. You get it? Yeah, I get it. Hopsburg. <laughs> you know, Hops goes, that's not how you spell the family name, but it's that's really awesome. Hops. That's too Blessed fun. Carl, yeah. Blessed Carl beer. I have several other speakers coming uh, to speak uh, 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 to us. And... So people will be encouraged um, how his story is relevant to today. You can hear about speak people today. How do they navigate through the muddy waters of these moral horrors we live to today? And how do they come out through it by keeping their faith intact? The uh, website for the symposium is blessedcarl.org. We are not sold out. I've had a couple of people ask, tell me they heard it was sold out. They found an old link online from 2018 and when it mm. was sold out then, and it's still up there that it's sold out. It is not sold out. There's lots of seats available. And uh, blessedcarl.org is the symposium website. Well, thank you so very much. And we're going to put that in the show notes so that anybody who is listening to this uh, local or willing to travel um, for that event on October 15th, I'll be there. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. And so, David, I just want to thank you so very much for your um, your knowledge, your eloquence, your um, meeting with us today, and just kind of really doing such a great job of of connecting what we men experience today to the life of Blessed Carl, both in the secular world as well as with our families. And I think it's important to remember that we can invoke Blessed Carl, um, you know, for, for our separated brethren, um, for wars in the world today, as well as our lives as husbands and fathers, if that's uh, your vocation currently. So again, you brought so much to light and I, I just couldn't be more thankful. You're very welcome. I and the one who thanks you for letting me talk, even if on and on and on no, not at all. about this man. I've been bettered by knowing about him, and that's why I want to share it. 
and you're helping with that. So I thank both of you brothers. God bless you both. Yeah, God bless you too, David. And as we like to end every episode, be a man, be a saint. Thank you.